This is a one and all media podcast. Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We are in the middle of our series titled The Story, where we're looking at the major events of the Bible, starting in Genesis, and we're going all the way through the book of Revelation. And today, Pastor Jeff is going to be in the book of Esther, looking at chapter 4. Now, Esther is a Hebrew who God placed in Persia, where she ruled as King Xerxes' queen. She lived an extraordinary life, but we're asking ourselves a question today. How much like Esther are we? Are we content to serve God exactly where he places us? Here's Pastor Jeff Fines with the message from Esther chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, turn over to the book of Esther. The book of Esther, if you have trouble finding it, if you find Psalm or the Psalms, if you go back a couple of books, you'll run right smack dab in the middle of Esther and find chapter 4, verse 13, and just hold it there just for a moment. We've been going through this series called The Story, where we're looking at major narratives in the Bible. I've been preaching through the entire Bible. We started in Genesis and we'll end this whole thing in Revelation. And right now we're in the book of Esther and we've seen some amazing Hebrew narratives that talk to us about the coming of the Messiah, what God is planning to do on the upper story, what he's, what's happening in heaven, while at the same time what he's doing on the earth. So we've had both the upper and the lower story. Now we come to this story in the book of Esther. And I got to tell you, this is a, a fantastic story with some incredible characters in it. And I'm going to need you to kind of make a commitment. Say, I'm going to listen because I got to tell this story. And then we're going to go on the opposite side, the, the back end of it. And we're going to bring around the message that God has for us. And man, it is a powerful message. It's about what it's like to have an extraordinary life. So let me introduce the characters to you. In the book of Esther, we meet four uh, they're really uh, interesting characters. Uh, for instance, the first guy is King Xerxes. Now, you'll remember that uh, God gave the Israelites the promised land, and as long as they obeyed him, things were good. When they disobeyed, he was incredibly patient for hundreds of years. And then because God is not an enabler, he wanted to make sure they understood that he loved them. He would discipline the nation by bringing in foreign nations to take them into captivity. And when they learned their lesson and repented, he would, he would restore them again. So you've had the Assyrians come in. You've had the Babylonians come in. And now if you look at this map, we come to a time when the Persian empire is powerful. Look at all of the land that makes up the Persian empire, all the way from really India to Egypt. It's huge. Now in this empire, you have four major capitals of the Persian empire. One of those capitals is a place right here called Susa. King Cyrus decided when the Persian Empire in its heyday decided that he would allow a lot of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and uh, uh, Syria and Samaria. And actually, he would allow them to rebuild their city, rebuild the walls. And we're going to learn about that next week in Nehemiah. 
But when he allowed a lot of the Jews to go back, some chose to stay because they'd already built a life for themselves. They didn't want to change. Two such people are people uh, named uh, Mordecai and a person named Esther. Now, here's what happens with King Xerxes. This guy is a piece of work. He is so full of himself that he invites all the leaders from around the Persian empire and he, he has them as his guest and he has a parade and it doesn't last for just one day. It lasts 180 days and it's the same parade going round and round. Think about it. Look, I've been to the Rose Parade. I really did enjoy it for a couple of hours, but how many high school bands does a person really need to see? And so this is 180 days. And he basically, he's doing this. He's showing everyone his splendor, his gold, his silver, his caravans, and his harem. So all the beautiful women that he thinks he owns, he marches them through the city and they go round for 180 days. You just get up, have some breakfast, go to McDonald's, go through the drive-thru, and you just sit there and you watch this parade 180 days and nobody leaves. Now, after 180 days, it obviously wasn't enough. So then he has seven more days of a banquet. And in the banquet, he invites the elite of the elite. And in the banquet, it talks about in the Bible that they feasted in beautiful gardens. They sat on golden couches. They served uh, drinks in golden vessels. And the royal wine was in abundance. And King Xerxes just enjoying himself. Look, look, at my, look at this well. Look at all that I have. And then he has a little bit too much to drink. And the seventh day, he calls for his queen, Queen Vashti. And what's he going to do? He's going to parade her and her beauty in front of all his friends. Well, Queen Vashti is one of those hard-headed women that you find in the Old Testament, the kind of one that set the goals and trends for the rest of us. She said, not going to do it. Now, this is unheard of in the ancient world. Remember, this isn't just some story or legend. This is ancient civilization. These things actually happen. And Queen Vashti says, I'm not coming. You guys have had too much to drink, and I'm not going to come and allow you to parade me in front of your friends. Well, the king's furious, so he calls his advisors. What are we going to do about this? They say, well, you better do something, or otherwise all the other women in Persia think they can disobey their husbands and get away with it. You better do something. So he says, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll fire the queen. So he sent a word to his queen. Hey, if you're not going to come into my palace when I ask you to, then you're never going to come in again. You're fired as the queen. And immediately the Bible says they appointed commissioners in every province to round up all the beautiful virgins. Think about this. Round up all the beautiful women. We're going to have a beauty pageant. And whoever I decide is the most beautiful woman will be the new queen. And he placed these women, now think about this. He placed these women under the care of a guy named Hegai, which was the king's eunuch, and it was his job to give all of these virgins from all over the kingdom, there are hundreds of them, beauty treatments for 12 months. Now, when my wife stays in the bathroom like an hour before we have to go somewhere, I think, you know, guys don't get that because it takes us 15 minutes. We're in and out. She's in there for like an hour and then it's two hours. And, and I always say, what, what are you doing in there, man? What are you doing? And she always says to me, natural beauty takes time. And I don't know what that means, but Okay. But they had six months of oil and myrrh and six months of perfumes and cosmetics. Imagine that you're chosen and somebody just pampers you for 12 months, man, to get you to, your, to, to the peak of your beauty so that you could be chosen by the king. Now, that's, that's Xerxes. He's a piece of work. Now let's go over to Esther. Esther just happens to be one of those young women that did stay behind and live in Susa when a lot of the Jews went back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the walls. And she's with her cousin Mordecai. But Mordecai is so much older that Mordecai actually adopted Esther as his own child and began to raise her because Esther's parents were dead, probably died during the captivity. Now, the Bible tells us that Esther is one of those women that were rounded up. She wouldn't have done it by choice. 
They just came and said, hey, uh, you know, you're a beautiful young virgin. And she didn't say, how do you know? This was ancient civilization. So she was. And they gathered her into the temple, or sorry, into the temple, into the palace. And then they started to choose. The Bible says that Esther was so beautiful that she was more beautiful than all the other beautiful women. In fact, in Esther chapter two, verse 15, it says when her turn came to go in front of the king, she won the favor of everybody who saw her. Not only the king, but everyone who saw her. Man, who's that girl? Now, the narrator of the story is trying to get you to ask this question. How is it that a Jewish girl in captivity in the Persian Empire becomes the queen over all the land? It's not natural. It's supernatural. And if you know the story, Mordecai, her guardian, says, do not reveal your people. Do not tell them that you're Hebrew, you're Jewish. If you win, you win. If you don't, you don't. Let God be in control. And then in chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible basically tells us that the king was so attracted to Esther more than any other women in the province that he put the crown on her head. She became queen. That's Esther. So you got Xerxes, you got Esther. Then you got this dude, Mordecai. Mordecai is Esther's guardian, and he also is a piece of work because... Here's what happens in chapter 2, verse 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now, we don't know all that this means, but we do know that this language in the Hebrew means that he held some kind of an office with King Xerxes that positioned him at the gate. We're not sure what. Maybe he was one of those influencers that were taken captive out of Jerusalem and put into Babylonian captivity and then somehow was given a position because of his wisdom and his ability to discern. Anyway, he works somehow for King Xerxes and he sits by the gate. Now, it says when the virgins were assembled a second time. So you obviously had a first cut and a second cut and a third cut and then you chose the queen. So during the second beauty pageant, he's there. Now, while he's there, Mordecai... uh, Hebrew, living in exile, overhears a plot to assassinate King Xerxes. And when he hears it, he tells Esther, knowing that Esther will tell the king. And when Esther tells the king, he's so impressed that he records it in the annals of Persian history. So in the annals of the king, there's a story about how this guy named Mordecai saved the king's life. And that's Mordecai. All right, one more character. So we got Xerxes, got Esther, got Mordecai, and then we got Haman. Now this guy is a real piece of work. Put it like this. He doesn't need anybody else around because he enjoys his own company so much. You know, he, he's a guy that sings the song, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. He's not even trying, this guy. He, he has one goal in life, to be worshiped and honored by everyone. And it's important to him to be liked by everyone. He wants to be the BMOC, big man on campus. And he, he, his whole life is about self-promotion and self-aggrandizement. Whatever this guy did, it worked because the king promoted him. And he's so full of himself, man. Everybody bows to him. Everybody praises. Everybody worships this dude. That is 99.9% of the kingdom. 0.1% doesn't. Would you like to guess who? Mordecai. Every time he comes by the gate, Mordecai just kind of does this. You know, talk to the left hand because you ain't right. Something like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bow down and worship you. And so this infuriates Haman, man, drives him insane. And so there's a problem because Mordecai has power and Haman has power too. Haman can't put Mordecai to death, but he wants to. So he concocts an evil plan. 
And in Esther chapter 3, verse 8, here's what we read. There's a certain people, he says to the king, notice the language, dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Now, they're still living by the principle of Jeremiah 29. They've not separated, but they've not assimilated. They've permeated the kingdom. So what does it mean by separate then? It says their customs are different from those of all other people. Well, that would be true. And they don't obey or do not obey the king's laws. That's an outright lie. They do until it conflicts with the law of God, which seldom does it except in idol worship. And then we go on. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. Talk about overkill. He wants genocide of all of Mordecai's people, not just Mordecai, but all of his people, all of his family and friends, all wants them dead. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. Now, what's up with the $10,000 or the 10,000 rather talents, which is a lot more than $10,000? Here's what. He knows in order to get everybody in the provinces to kill the Jews, it's going to take some bribery because not everybody's willing to just kill people just because they're of a certain race. But if you give them enough money, everybody has their price. So he says, I'll take care of the price. The king, Xerxes, for all of his faults, one of his primary thoughts is he listens to the wrong people. And he makes this decree And he holds a sign up and they make all these signs and spread throughout the kingdom that says freedom to kill the Jews. Now this will not be the first time and it will not be the last time that the Jews are targeted for extermination. But can you imagine, can you imagine you're, you're Hebrew living in exile all over this huge kingdom of Persia and all of a sudden there are signs up all downtown that say, feel free now to kill the Jews. Feel free. So if you had any kind of bickering or complaint against anybody that was Hebrew, you could just wipe them out. No ramifications. This is one of the many times in human history of genocide. Now, Mordecai reads this, and he finds one of those signs downtown, and he tears his clothes. He weeps in sackcloth and ashes. He just starts to mourn, and it causes a domino effect throughout the entire empire. Jews everywhere, Hebrews everywhere start to mourn and go into sackcloth and ashes. Now, let me just stop here. Here we go again with this upper and lower story. The upper story is what? God told Abraham that his people would prosper and that all nations would be blessed. That's the upper story. What's the lower story? They keep trying to kill God's people. Do you think that this is accidental? Again, it's not like we're reading some legend or myth here. This is, these are stories of antiquity. That, that it, it seems to be that the Bible is actually true. That there is, there are good and evil, and these kingdoms are diametrically opposed, and God's bringing this redemption of the world, but there's another entity, another force trying to thwart the plan of God all the way up until the cross, and even now today in your life. Now, to explain what happens next, I need some help. I need this, the, the, the Barbie and the G.I. Joe truck. <laughs> now, I don't, now some of you, if, you, if you're my age, You'd have to be at least my age to remember this. If you're younger, you probably won't. But there was a time Mattel, uh, America's largest toy maker at the time, made both G.I. Joe and Barbie. And in the late 70s, they made a mistake. And there was a recall to all the G.I. Joes and Barbies. And what they did is they put the wrong voice box in the wrong character. So that when you pulled Barbie's string, she said, hit the ground, now, now, now. And you think about little girls just being devastated by that. And when you pull G.I. Joe's string, he said, Let's shop till we drop. And so can you imagine? You're a little girl and you pull that string, a little boy and you pull, what? What is it? So there was a recall. Now, I use this because Mordecai challenges Esther. He gets up out of his morning and he says to her, look, you may look like a Barbie on the outside, but it's time for you to speak like a G.I. Joe. You got to get some mental toughness and you got to go to the king. Because at first, Barbie, here's what's happening. And she hides in the Barbie house. 
And she thinks somehow she's going to be immune from all this. And Mordecai shows up, pulls the string and says, hit the ground now. Run, run, run. Go, go, go. You got to go make supplication on behalf of your people to the king. Now, if you know the story, her response is fair. She says, Mordecai, I can't do that because there's one law throughout the kingdom. If you show up in the palace of the king without being invited, they kill you. Why? Because all kings were afraid of assassination. So if you showed up without invitation, it was automatically assumed you're there to kill the king. Esther says, I can't go because I haven't been asked to go. If I go in there without invitation, there is but one law, kill me and I'd die. So what good would I be anyway? Now Mordecai kind of fires back at her and says, listen, Esther, and this is how we read it in Esther 4, verse 13, the passage I told you to turn to. He says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. Now notice Mordecai's faith here. He says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Mordecai believes in the covenant of Abraham. And he says, if you don't do it, somebody else will. But you have your father's family and they will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This is so awesome. Mordecai looks Esther in the eye and basically says, stop being a Barbie. Knock it off. Do you think that you're in the palace because you're so wonderful? Do you think you've accumulated all this exquisite wardrobe and precious gems and exotic fragrances because you're just so desirable and attractive? Do you think your fame and popularity and fortune is all on the basis of what you've done? Don't you know that you're not in the palace for any of the reasons the king says you are? You're there because God has placed you there. There's justice. There's salvation. You're to spare evil, spare suffering. You're to oppose evil. Esther, you are God's plan A and there's no plan B. You were called to do this right now in this place. Now, what's so beautiful about this, folks? And let me put G.I. Joe and Barbie because they have a tendency to take off. As they would. Mordecai's words start to sink in. Barbie, <laughs> Esther, <laughs> little slip there, she gets tough. And in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, look at what she says. She goes, all right then, you go and you gather all the Jews who are in Susa and you fast and pray. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now notice, survival is no longer the most important thing to Esther. The fact that she would give her life to something bigger than herself now is the most important thing. Her worst case scenario is no longer death. Her worst case scenario is disobeying what God calls her to do, even if it costs her something. So she gets brave. She may look like Barbie, but she starts talking like G.I. Joe. And she says, pray for me because I'm going in. And she goes in. Now, she may be brave, but she ain't stupid. She comes up with a plan as only a smart woman could. And her plan unfolds. She decides that she's going to put on the robe of the queen. She takes the royal robes and she goes into the inner court with a plan. But nothing's going to happen if she dies. And so everybody's been fasting and praying somehow that God would work on the other side in the mind of the king. And even though the odds are heavily stacked against her, they're praying that God would give favor to Esther. Esther, with her head down, waits. And then in the ancient world, if the king raised the golden scepter, it meant that your life was spared. 
So just at the right time, and I'm sure there was a, a, a lull, I'm sure there was a, a calmness, a, a, a silence in the story. It doesn't happen in the verses as quick as we read, but somehow the king decides, he raises the golden scepter, he spares her life, and not only that, he goes over to Esther, and he says, Esther, what does my queen want? Up to half the kingdom I will give you. Now, he's not serious. This is what we call royal hyperbole. It's the way of saying, hey, I'm feeling good today and you're looking good. So here, what do you want? Okay. And Esther says, she had this plan along. She goes, what I would like, king, is for you to come to a banquet that I'm going to prepare. And I'd like you to bring your friend Haman with you. Now she's got a plan. And the king is elated. Sure, I like parties. I'm I'm in. So she's going to come, he's going to come rather, and he's going to bring Haman. Now, this is where the story does this to us. The Hebrew narrative is fantastic. It takes our attention off this for a moment, and then we go look at Haman again. Haman again is a piece of work. When he hears that he's invited to this banquet by the queen, and only he's invited, think about what that did for him. He's probably just walking home, man, am I the man or what? I am Mr. Wonderful. I am so wonderful. I mean, look at what all I've done. Look at all my accomplishments. And I, and I alone have been invited to the banquet by the queen. Man, I am something special. <laughs> he's feeling good. He's walking home, but he's got to go by the gate. Guess who's there? Mordecai. Guess what Mordecai does? Haman what a piece of work. It ruins his day. Even though all these good things are happening just because of Mordecai and he goes home crying and he calls for his wife. Her name is Zeresh. And he, this dude, I mean, unfortunately there are too many people like him today, but he calls all of his friends. Hey friends, come around and wife, come here. I want to talk to you guys. And he makes a speech. He says, am I not wonderful? I mean, am I not wonderful? Look at the splendor of my wealth and riches. Look at the number of the sons that I have. Look at my wife, check her out. All my promotions. I have been placed above everyone else in the kingdom other than the king. Even the queen lets no one come to her party except me. Am I not wonderful? These are all my assets, however. None of this does me any good as long as Mordecai sits at the gate. What a piece of work. You know, this is life outside the kingdom, isn't it? Because Esther says, I'm willing to die to myself. As a result, she truly lives. Man. Haman, on the other hand, says, I'm going to live for myself. So he dies a thousand times every day, chasing an elusive goal that he will never reach. Ecclesiastes calls that chasing the wind. Man, if you ever get to the point in your life where everybody has to like you, it's going to be a miserable life. Now, here's the advice. And this is in Esther chapter 5, verse 14. His wife's arrest and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. That's her advice. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up. What a piece of work. This guy says, you know, I'm going to the banquet tomorrow with Esther, but you know what? I just can't, I can't enjoy it because Mordecai. And she goes, okay, just go out right now before you go to bed and erect a pole that you can hang him on tomorrow and you'll feel better. And he does. So he goes to the banquet thinking, man, I, I'm, I'm good because I'm going to kill Mordecai tomorrow. Now the narrator of the story lets us see that. And then he kind of makes a transition. And now he takes us over to the king. The king can't sleep. This the same night, the same night that Haman erects the pole, king can't sleep. He's got insomnia. In the ancient world, when the king can't sleep, he calls for his steward or stewardess. And she comes to read him a bedtime story. He says, read me a bedtime story. Now think about all the options here. Well, what do you want me to read, king? Oh, why don't you choose that book, The Annals of the King? So she chooses that book. 
What story? Oh, just choose a story. And she opens up, and it just so happens that she lands on the page where there's a story about a guy named Mordecai who saves the life of the king by revealing an assassination plot. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Haman comes into the king's court. Here's what the king says. King says, Haman, what would I do for someone that the king wants to honor? Of course, Haman, he's so self-centered. He thinks it's him. So he kind of says, yeah, okay. And he thinks to himself, man, I better make this good. I'm kind of like writing my own check here. Oh, king, let the royal robes be brought out and put on the man the king wants to honor. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.